Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the oil of Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope everybody had an awesome holiday. We are back here for a post-Christmas show. We have a lot to talk about on this Sunday, December 26th. A lot of bears to start the show. I wasn't planning on talking this much football out of the gate, but we got some interesting insight from a national reporter this morning that I want to talk about, and we've got to talk about whatever that was last Monday. A lot to get to. On the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It is awesome to be back here with you for another week. Again, hope everybody had an awesome Christmas. Hope Santa was really good to you. I know we had as good a day as we could in this COVID environment. We did the most that we could with what we had to work with. Hope everybody had a great day. I wish I was happier about the Bears, but they gave us essentially a lump of coal for Christmas when it was announced that Nick Foles is the starting quarterback today against Seattle, which is oh so much fun because Andy Dalton's hurt. Justin Fields didn't practice the last two days this week. If Fields is active today, and I'm guessing he won't be, but if he is, he'll be the backup. And we'll see Nick Foles on the field in Week 16 against the Seattle Seahawks. It's great. I'm smiling through the pain right now. It's just been one of those years, you know. A lot of hope going into this year. Well, there was also that, you know, pessimism because last year I wanted Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy fired. That didn't happen, and now you're seeing this year the Bears are now 4-10. and 10. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're officially out of the playoff picture. It's not good. Matt Nagy's job is in jeopardy, serious jeopardy. Ryan Pace's job is in jeopardy. I'll get to Nagy in a little bit. But I want to talk about the quarterback situation because I talked a little bit about this last week. I kind of alluded to it. And I know Justin Fields got some criticism. I think it was on the national level. There were people criticizing Justin Fields and Bears Twitter was talking, oh, don't criticize him. He's a rookie. Don't criticize him. He's the future of the franchise. Why are they criticizing the future of the franchise? I came on these airwaves last week and said, Statistically speaking, he's not been great this year. And as Bears fans, watching Mac Jones do what he's doing for the Patriots, I mean, I'm watching that, at least for me, 
And I'm like the little jealous green-eyed monster here going, we could have had that, especially because I was out here stumping for Mac Jones to come to the Bears. But, you know, I, Mac Jones was my second choice behind Justin Fields, and they got Justin Fields, so I can't complain. But the problem I'm having this year is how Justin Fields has developed. Or, I guess, how he hasn't developed. I mean, he looked much better than he did against the Browns. And obviously, we can't go based off that Browns game because that game plan was one of the worst I've ever seen. But my point is, he looks more comfortable. He's adjusting to the speed of the NFL. He's learning as he goes and seeing mistakes even in-game that he's not making. I look at last week against Minnesota. There were, I want to say, two times where he didn't throw the ball away. Then it didn't happen again because he learned in-game to throw the ball away. You know, rookie mistakes are going to happen. You know, not every rookie is, and I know this isn't the best comparison now given everything off the field, but not everybody's Deshaun Watson. Not everybody's Mac Jones, as you're seeing in New England. Now, Patrick Mahomes was a project, and he sat for a year and then came out, and you've seen what he can do. And again, I don't want to compare Justin Fields to Patrick Mahomes, but it's just kind of the comparison of the situations. Justin Fields is not as much of a project, I'd argue, as Patrick Mahomes was. Justin Fields performed in the biggest games on the biggest stage in college football, you saw his playmaking ability. Granted, it helps when your wide receiver room is Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams. And Jamison Williams was Ringo. He was the he was the third guy in that receiver room. Obviously, the Beatles had four guys, but you understand my analogy here. He was the other guy. You had Wilson and Olave were the two stars. Williams transferred out. You've seen what Jamison Williams is doing for Bryce Young at Alabama. Helped him win the Heisman Trophy. So yes, Justin Fields had a really good wide receiver room at Ohio State, and that was a huge reason why he had the success he had. That said, there's also that talent, that playmaking ability, because as good as wide receivers are at helping their quarterbacks, the quarterbacks have to help the wide receivers. Because they're the ones, I know this seems like I'm telling you 2 plus 2 is 4 and explaining to you why 2 plus 2 is 4, but the quarterback has to be the one to throw the passes and get those guys open. Obviously, you've got their routes to run, but the quarterback has to make the plays too. Justin Fields has proven he can do that. In the NFL, it's a different game. Obviously, the Allen Robinson situation is something. I might get into that today. We'll see. I've got a lot to get to. But your wide receiver room now went from Wilson Olave Williams to Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin, and it's been kind of a rotating door behind Darnell Mooney because Allen Robinson, it's just, he's been cut out of the offense, it seems like. I don't think that's a stretch to say. He's been non-existent, and it's not his fault. You know, he didn't get the best treatment in the offseason, in my opinion, and it's kind of starting to show on the field a little bit. You know, there was a play a couple weeks ago where if he makes a big block, Fields probably breaks for a touchdown. But he didn't get the block, and the guy that he was supposed to block ended up knocking Fields out of bounds. So it's a different situation than it was at Ohio State, but you've seen the talent there. And that's something that, as a coaching staff, 
Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor in particular, you have to take that talent, you have to maximize it. And they didn't do that out of the gate. They declared Andy Dalton the starter, and they were emphatic in saying Andy Dalton's the starter, which is why Fields went to practice with the number twos. That's how he and Darnell Mooney developed the chemistry they've developed because they were practicing together. And I want to say, was it Allen Robinson in the press conference one day said, yeah, we didn't get a lot of reps with Fields in the preseason, so we're learning as we go here. This was bungled from the start. And I mean, I was out here saying that Fields shouldn't start right away. But he should have gotten reps with the ones to build a rapport with these guys. I understand that the future is not set in stone. And I know I've come out here and I've declared Justin Fields a franchise quarterback. Realistically speaking, he's not a franchise quarterback yet. He has the strong potential to be one. He can be the quarterback of the future if you do it right. So far through year one, it has not been done right. Which is why I asked this question this morning. Should Justin Fields play another snap for the Bears this year? Yes or no? Of the responses I got, and this was a little more than an hour ago, I've gotten 20 responses already. 70% of you are saying yes, which surprises me. Because he's dealing with an injury. He's got an ankle injury. That's why he's probably not going to play today against Seattle. He dealt with another injury the last couple of weeks. So the fact that 70%, now this is 20 voters, the fact that this many of you want him to still play amazes me considering the season's over, the coach is likely out of a job, and I, I promise I will get to that. I've got That's coming up next. That's a tease. The season's over, the coach is basically gone, he's dealing with an injury. I would say no, and it's an emphatic no. You know, Alyssa Bergamini, who hosts for the White Sox in-game, she's filled in on 670 The Score the past couple weeks. I worked with her briefly at NBC Sports Chicago. She tweeted this week about the rookie experience. And I think it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I responded to her. And I asked her straight up, like, is rookie experience really good under this coaching staff, though? And she even said probably not. What's the benefit of having Justin Fields go out there if the coaching staff is virtually gone this offseason, he might have a new GM this offseason. Why would you risk hindering his development that much more? The fumble last Monday against Minnesota. We've seen the fumbles all year. And again, rookie mistakes are going to happen. I'm not saying he should be perfect, but he's had trouble keeping control of the football. Last week was week 15. How has that not been shored up yet? Throw the ball out of bounds when you're in trouble instead of taking a sack. How has that not been fixed yet? We saw the same thing with Trubisky for three years, by the way. His ability to slide. This is something I'm back and forth on. So last week, Fields slid on a play. And a Vikings player came in, and I mean, that was pure helmet to helmet. That was a scary hit. Flag was thrown. The guy was ejected, as he should have been. Fields got up and was fine. So the way he slides, it's like a baseball player. He keeps his head up, and he, he slides feet first, but he stays upright. And that draws contact, which, as he gets more and more respect in this league, 
and starts getting more and more flags, which the surprising amount of flags that he has not gotten this year, it's it's amazing. If you'll go back and watch the film. Yes, he draws contact. Which, by rule, if the quarterback gives himself up and there's contact, it should be a 15-yard penalty. So it's smart from that standpoint. But the other side, and this is probably the more important side of the coin, is he risking his health when he's taking hits like he took on Monday? Yes, he absolutely is, because that was a nasty hit from that defender. And again, there was a there was a penalty, he got ejected. That that's all that's all well and good, and Justin was fine. But how many hits like that can he take? So he's got to learn how to balance that, okay, do you stay upright or do you lower your back a little bit to avoid that type of contact? Because no matter if you're upright or laying flat, if you get if you get hit after you give yourself up as a quarterback, that's a penalty on the other team. So I've seen some scary things from a development standpoint the last couple weeks with Justin Fields. If it's me, I don't want him back out there. Now, I understand Matt Nagy is fighting for his job right now. You saw that last week when he got that bonehead penalty for arguing with the officials, which I'm glad we're seeing him fight for his guys, but it doesn't mean much when it's week 15 and you're essentially out the door. So I understand Matt Nagy's fighting for his job, but you've got to you've got to think about the future here. If you're George McCaskey, if you're Ted Phillips, I know they're not quote unquote the football guys, but it doesn't take much of a football IQ to understand that if you've got a young, special talent at quarterback, you've got to protect that. And obviously, this coaching staff is not doing a very good job of protecting that. Which leads me to this quote that I heard just this morning from Ian Rappaport. I play a lot of Ian Rappaport sound on this show because he's very dialed in with the Bears. He's obviously a national insider with NFL Network. He has a lot of insight. He's got a lot of sources everywhere. What he says carries a lot of weight, especially on NFL game day before the slated games on Sundays. He said this just this morning about Matt Nagy, and I wasn't going to play it. I saw it and I listened to it. There's a line at the end that I want you to listen for, and that's why I'm playing this, because this is a really interesting ripple to this whole thing with the future of the coaching staff. As the losses mount for the Chicago Bears, it's becoming clearer and clearer that they're headed toward a new coach in 2022. Now, there's been no firm and final decision on the status of Matt Nagy, but my understanding is uh, it is very much in doubt and one could be coming for Nagy who does face an uphill battle to keep his job. The reason why we're talking about this now is there is a new rule that allows teams who fire their coach to interview via Zoom candidates over the final two weeks. So if the Bears want to get a jump on a potential search, news could be coming Monday if, in fact, they lose. That last line. He dropped that last line in there. If the Bears want to get a jump on a potential search, news could be coming Monday if they lose. Now, the Bears are six and a half point underdogs today against Seattle on the road in Seattle. It's snowy, it's crappy. 
if they lose today, and I think they're going to, that is an interesting line from Ian Rappaport. And I feel like it's been kind of a dog chasing its tail type of situation with, oh, Ms. Matt, he can be fired this week. Is he going to be fired next week? Should he have been fired last week? Well, the answer to that question is obviously yes. But we feel it's been kind of a, a runaround here. Because you remember the Patch.com report a few weeks ago that said Nagy's going to be fired after the Thanksgiving game. He's been told that's his last game. The Bears hung him out to dry in the press conference. He had to go out there and say, no, they haven't told me anything like that. That report is not true. It's not accurate. And then he canceled practices or workouts that night. It was a short week with Thanksgiving. It was a mess. Ever since then, there has been, it seems like, Rumor after rumor after rumor. Oh, is this Matt Nagy's last week? Is this Matt Nagy's last week? What happens if the Bears lose this week? What happens to Matt Nagy? This new rule that they put in adds a really interesting ripple to all of this. So if you've missed this, this is a newer thing. This just got approved by the owners 11 days ago. This has been rumored it was... In the works, the owners approved it December 15th. What this does, and this is from the this is from NFL.com, Tom Pelissero, Chase Goodbread is the writer here. NFL owners passed a resolution that interviews for vacant head coaching positions in the NFL can commence over the final two weeks of the regular season. Requests for interviews, which employer employer clubs are free to deny, can be sent beginning Tuesday, December 28th. The resolution also is in effect for this season, essentially a one-year trial. So this is only this year. Only teams whose head coach at the beginning of the season is no longer in that position or has been given notice that he will not return are eligible to request these early virtual interviews. As of now, and this was before Urban Meyer was fired, only the Las Vegas Raiders qualify because John Gruden was fired, which Passacci has been in. Obviously, the Jaguars are now in this conversation as well because Urban Meyer, that mess is over. And this goes on to say, as, as Tom Pelissero noted in his report, the resolution could incentivize clubs who've decided to part ways with a coach to do so at least two weeks before the end of the season in order to take advantage of the opportunity. So this has been in the works for a couple months now. This is now happening. Now last year, this notes, the interview window opened early, but it was a day early. Now teams can have two weeks here. Week 17, week 18. Now week 18 is still weird to say because they've had another game this year. So we're going to learn a lot here in the next 24 hours or so. If Matt Nagy is going to be back, because let's, let's read this again. Only teams whose head coach at the beginning of the season is no longer in that position or has been given notice that he will not return are eligible to request these early virtual interviews. We have made a lot about the Bears 
and their decision to not fire coaches mid-year. The caveat to that is that George Hallis was the coach for a long time, and the owner's not going to fire himself. But for the majority of Bears history, they have not fired a head coach mid-year. Trustman did not get fired mid-year. Fox did not get fired mid-year. Dick Duran did not get fired mid-year. Could Matt Nagy be the first? With this new rule, it's possible. Or they could give him notice that he won't return. And they'll tell the league that, and they'll be able to do these interviews. This rule could change things, because now we're entering the last two weeks of the season. If if the Bears decide to go this route, and I think they should, this needs to happen tomorrow. But there's another side to this. This is not as black and white as, okay, let's fire Nagy after week 16 so we have that two weeks to do the interviews. The guy who would be doing or in the interviews over these next two weeks as it stands right now, because I haven't heard anything about this yet, and anything has been rumors like, oh, could he go too? Do you really want Ryan Pace doing these interviews over the last two weeks? I don't. I don't want him anywhere near the next head coach. So if you're George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, do you get rid of both of them for the last two weeks that allows you to get a GM and a coach? Or... Do you just stick it out through the end of the year, get rid of Pace and Nagy, go get yourself a GM, let that GM get a coach? The problem with that, teams have an extra two weeks now. The Jaguars are going to be a hot topic destination. They've got Trevor Lawrence as their quarterback. You're competing against Jacksonville, who also picked a potential franchise quarterback in this same draft you drafted Justin Fields in. That is absolutely something to consider. Because I could see the argument for letting Nagy and Pace go through the end of the season so you can have a GM who can pick the new coach. A new GM pick the new coach. But at the same time here, if Pace is sticking around, and I don't know for sure, I don't want him to, but it's not out of the question here. Do you want to get that two-week head start? Obviously, the answer should be yes. And I don't know what the rule is for interviewing GM candidates. If the Bears were to get rid of both of them tomorrow, and I'm not saying they will, but if they do, I don't know what the rule is for interviewing GMs during the year. Never really had to think about it, I guess. But this is going to be a really intriguing 24 hours for the Bears. One last thing on the coaching staff before I move on. And I just want to give this acknowledgement. 
Sean Desai did an amazing job last week. The Bears defense has been hit hard by COVID. A lot of players in the COVID protocols, they had next to no secondary. They had guys from the practice squad, guys you'd never heard of playing cornerback safety in the secondary. They held Kirk Cousins to, I know it was less than 100 yards. It was well less than 100 passing yards. Thomas Graham Jr. did a great job at cornerback. They held Minnesota to 17 points. Bravo to Sean Desai. He proved last week that he is ready to be an NFL defensive coordinator. What he did with those players out there, that was a bad hand he was dealt. And he did the most he could. And, I mean, the Bears, that should have been a winnable game last week. Okay, it should have been, thanks to the defense. You could tell Nagy was calling plays again because Bill Lazor was in COVID protocols. You could tell Nagy was calling plays because that was just bad. I didn't think Justin Fields looked terrible once he made a couple adjustments. But his coach did not put him in position to win. The play calling was conservative once again. But the defense, bravo to Sean Desai, bravo to the Bears defense for that performance last week. That is something to consider going forward because, yes, we can talk a lot and I can talk at length about how the Bears need a new head coach and a new offensive scheme. Do they have their defensive coordinator of the future in Sean Desai? It's just something we have to think about here because that was really good, and I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him this year as a first-time defensive coordinator. Sean Desai is the real deal. And you saw that last week. Obviously, this Sunday, today, Bears Seahawks coming up at 325 from Seattle. I will have a prediction in the last 10 minutes of the show. Usually, I do that in the last five minutes. I'm going to do that in the last 10 minutes. So, I want to take the last five minutes for something a little personal here. But I'll have that prediction coming up. Seahawks are favored by six and a half points. Nick Foles is starting. Yay. Bears got some players back from the COVID list. Akeem Hicks went on the COVID list, though. And I'm not sure what the coordinator situation is. I'm not sure who's in protocol, who's out, who's out of protocols. But that'll be something to monitor closer to game time. I also don't know if Justin Fields will play. We will find that out. Let's see, it's the 325 game. We'll find out about 2 o'clock, 145, 2 o'clock today. We'll find out if Justin Fields is going to be the backup. Who's going to be out? Who's going to play? Who's going to help Nick Foles lead the Bears to a job-saving victory for Matt Nagy? Talk more about that in the last 10 minutes. The resident Lions fan, Jonah Blatt, chimes in. Merry Christmas, Jonah. Uh, he says, Bears should just rip the Band-Aid off on Monday. I agree with you. It's a matter of if they will. Tonight's going to be something to watch. As we're coming up on the bottom of the hour, I want to remind you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago. I'm coming to you from Dwight, Illinois, where I've been doing the show now for a little more than a year. If you want to chime in on the conversation, slide into my Twitter DMs at NickSchultz underscore 7 or reply to one of my tweets at NickSchultz underscore 7. 
I read any and all that I can get and can read. Love having listener interaction because we can't take calls while working remotely. I'm not sure when we're going to be back in studio with this Omicron variant out there for COVID-19. Not sure when the studio is going to open back up because that's when we had the phone line. That's the only way we have a phone line. So for now, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you want to reach me at, I will. I have it open. Definitely chime in if you have any thoughts on anything we've talked about. Got to move on to the Bulls because we have some Bulls news. We've had plenty of Bulls news the last couple of weeks, but we especially have some the last couple of days. So let's start with the recent stuff today. Alfonso McKinney has been with the Bulls now this month. He signed a couple 10-day contracts. West Side guy, Chicago guy. He lit it up against Houston. He had 16 points, and the Bulls just absolutely rolled. He's become kind of a fan favorite. He is now with the team the rest of the year. And to make room for him, this makes me sad. Alizé Johnson has been released. Now, Alizé, as I've talked about on the show before, went to Missouri State, Missouri Valley guy, lit it up in the Missouri Valley, kind of got his chance in the NBA with the Nets, thought the Bulls were giving him a really good opportunity, didn't do as much as I'd have liked with the Bulls. He has been released. So I made my last It's the Valley video on Twitter in reference of Alizé. So that news came out today. But over the weekend, the Bulls got more COVID news because the Bulls just cannot stay out of COVID news. The good news is the players are out of protocol. Everybody. Zach Levine, Devon Dotson, who went in on, I think, Wednesday. He tested out quickly. DeMar DeRozan's back, and wow, what a game he had against the Lakers. Javante Green is back. Everybody is back off the COVID list from a player standpoint. But as we know, the Bulls don't have the best of luck on Christmas Eve. Tim Floyd will tell you that. Scott Skiles will tell you that. You can add Billy Donovan to that list too because he entered COVID protocols on Friday just when they got everybody else out. Billy Donovan went in. He will not coach tonight. Chris Fleming will be the Bulls' acting head coach when the Bulls take on the Pacers tonight at 7 o'clock at the United Center. So I wasn't sure if it'd be Chris Fleming or Maurice Cheeks. But it'll be Chris Fleming patrolling the sidelines tonight. Let's recap the last couple of games, though, because the Bulls were on pause for a week. Because at one point they had 10 guys in COVID protocols. Now everybody's out, but they had 10 guys in protocols at one point, so they had to take a week off. Their first game after the outbreak was against LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and the over 30 league that is the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Bulls did not have Zach Levine for this game, but DeMar DeRozan was back in the lineup. DeMar dropped 38 points. He had four rebounds and six assists. 
Bulls beat the Lakers 115 to 110. Now the Lakers do not have Anthony Davis. He's dealing with an MCL sprain. He's going to be out for a few more weeks. But they still beat LeBron James, who had 31, and Russell Westbrook, who had 20, and Carmelo Anthony, who had 21. 115 to 110. Lonzo Ball, 19 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. Nikola Vucevic, 19 points, 13 rebounds. It seems to me like the Vuce has found a shot. Which, thank goodness, Vucevic has found a shot. Because early in the year when he was missing those wide open little gimme shots, that was worrying me. And he even said he's never had a stretch like that in his career. But it looks to me like the Vooch is back, and it's at a good time. The Bulls now are 19-10, and 10 because the next day they turned around and beat the Rockets, 133-118. Remember, the Rockets beat the Bulls a few weeks back. Bulls won 133-118. DeMar had 26. Lonzo had 19 and 8 assists. Kobe White had 24 points. And here's the game that I think earned Alfonso McKinney a contract. 16 points and 5 rebounds in 29 minutes off the bench. This is just such a cool story. You know, he, he talked about it this week too. Grew up on the west side. He's a Chicago guy. He went to Green Bay, UW-Green Bay. Went to Marshall High School, which Loyola fans will know Marshall High School because some guy named Milton Doyle went there. He entered the league in 2017. And during his career, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. You know, he started out for the Raptors, and then he went to the Warriors, Cavaliers, last year with the Lakers, now this year with the Bulls. But he's through and through a Chicago guy. You can see him on the court, the toughness he plays with. You know, we, we make a lot about, oh, just kids from Chicago. You know, we talk about Derrick Rose, Io DeSumo. The way Alfonso McKinney plays basketball, yet you can tell he's a Chicago guy. Like they're, It's a different breed of basketball. And he is, he is on a guaranteed contract now. He will play through the year with the Bulls. That makes me really happy. And he talked about it at the press conference after that Rockets game, how it feels to be wearing a Bulls uniform growing up in the city. It's awesome. But that game by the Bulls, I mean, they dominated the second half of back-to-back without Zach Levine. Bulls look good, man. They are the second seed in the East right now. Obviously, we're only 29 games into this thing or 31 games, depending on which teams you're looking at. It's been kind of crazy lately with COVID and the NBA. A lot of cancellations. We talked about that last week. You know, in the first half hour last week, we had three games postponed, which made for a crazy first half hour of the show. But, you know, the Bulls have played 29 games, 19 and 10. They are two games back of Brooklyn for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Said all year, this is top four team, and they're looking like it so far. Just imagine when they get Zach back today. And again, they've got the, the Pacers tonight. Then tomorrow, second half of back-to-back against the Atlanta Hawks. Wednesday, they've got the Hawks at home. 
New Year's Eve, they've got the Pacers on the road, and then they're turning around on New Year's Day, going to Washington, D.C. to take on the Wizards. And obviously, as I said last week, all these games are tentative, given everything in the NBA, especially after the holidays. I mean, the Bulls are supposed to have another game this week that got postponed because of COVID. So this is a very fluid situation, but that's what the upcoming schedule looks like right now. But yeah, man, the Bulls are, that is the real deal. And just as we're talking about good news, are you kidding me? All right, we got more Bulls COVID news. They just got everybody out of protocols. Okay. From NBC Sports Chicago, Alfonso McKinney and Tony Bradley have entered COVID-19 protocols for the Bulls. That means they're probably not available tonight against the Pacers. So now the Bulls have two players and a head coach in the protocols with McKinney and Bradley and Billy Donovan. And now, so the timing of this, and this is, I'm just getting this now, so you're getting my raw reaction here. You just lost your backup big and Tony Bradley the same day you waved Alizé Johnson. So that's going to be interesting. Because when Vucevic was out, when he had COVID, Alizé was a part of the small ball lineups. And when I say small ball, it's because Alizé is 6'9". He can play the five. He's six foot nine. Alze was part of those lineups that came in. He's just a rebounding machine, by the way. He was when he was at Missouri State, too. I remember he was double-double after double-double. It was news if he didn't get a double-double in the Missouri Valley. But you just waved him, and now you're without your backup center. So now the question is, do you bring him back on a 10-day deal or something? I don't know. Because Alex Caruso is out with a foot sprain. Derek Jones Jr. has a hamstring strain. They're not available. They're out tonight against Indiana. This is from my guy Rob Schaefer. Remember, Patrick Williams had that wrist injury. He's out for the year. Luckily, Levine, Dasumu, Troy Brown Jr., Matt Thomas are good to go tonight. So now things get that much more interesting for the Bulls. Again, I'm sitting here talking about how good it is. We got good Bulls news. Things are going great. Alfonso McKinney, what a story. Oh, nope, never mind. He's in COVID protocols, and so is Tony Bradley. So now the Bulls don't have a backup center. This is the environment that we're in. I mean, this, I understand. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling it. I know other people are too, like COVID fatigue. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm ready for this to be done, but we're still living in it. Just It, it hits it that fast. And I know losing Tony Bradley isn't the biggest of deals on this roster. I mean, even when Vucevic was out, I wasn't very impressed with Tony Bradley. I was, but I wasn't. They were two different players, but they were trying to run the offense like Vooch was out there. And it's been 
it, it was weird. But losing Tony Bradley isn't as big a deal. Losing Alfonso McKinney, I mean, you saw what he did against Houston. He could be fighting for a rotation spot. Now, he's in COVID protocols. And the nation's going to get to watch this game tonight because NBA TV announced that they're carrying the game tonight. Tomorrow's game is also going to be on NBA TV. So the Bulls getting some good national exposure here. But they're going to be without their head coach and two bench players. That's how fast this news is coming. And I mean, that that article from NBC Sports Chicago, that dropped at 11.08 when I was talking Bears. I didn't even see it. So man, just get your booster shots, I guess. I don't know what else to say. Hopefully everybody's healthy. I haven't heard. I mean, the Bulls are a fully vaccinated team. Now, I don't know how many of them have boosters, but I know they've got their two shots. So hopefully everybody's feeling all right. That's going to be the first concern here. But man, all right. So we do have COVID news today. Almost made it the entire show, too. All right, let's pivot here. Because I have... This is weird during a lockout. I didn't expect to talk a lot of baseball lately. But we've got some interesting Cubs news. And I don't know how this is becoming a thing because there's quite literally a lockout and free agency cannot be negotiated or anything. But according to Bruce Levine at the score, there's mutual interest between the Cubs and Carlos Correa. So that happened. I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, there's interest there. He he wants to play for the Cubs. Cubs want him. But Tom Ricketts is going to go out there and say, well, we can't afford to pay you anyway. So we're interested in you. We want, to, we want you to play here, but we're not going to pay you. But then ESPN Radio in Houston and – Brett Taylor at Bleacher Nation does a really good job laying all this out and giving sources and everything. ESPN Radio in Houston brought up a potential seven-year deal because Carlos Correa wants a 10-year contract. If there's one thing to know about Tom Ricketts, besides that he doesn't want to pay anybody, it's that 10-year contracts, long contracts like that, that's not a thing. The seven-year deal is interesting. That's from Houston. That's coming from reporting in Houston. And then Bruce Levine came back out and said, he, he brought up a, this is from Brett Taylor, a quote-unquote hypothetical deal that the Cubs would give Carlos Correa seven years, $224 million. Now, the Tigers reportedly offered him 10 years, $275 million. So let's do some quick math here. $224 million over seven years, it's $32 million a year. $275 million over 10 years, it's $27.5 million a year. So he'd be making more money. On a yearly basis, he wouldn't get the total money. 
and he'd lose three years off of that. And Bruce Levine went on to suggest maybe $37 million for the first two years. That way he'd be paid more than Mike Trout. And then there's an op- there'd be an option in there. This is interesting. Because we heard multiple times from Tom Ricketts, Jed Hoyer, that this isn't a rebuild that the Cubs are going on. And I was out here saying, well, yeah, it kind of is. But think about the moves they've made before the lockout. Bringing in Marcus Stroman is huge. They got Wade Miley, too. So they're serious about building up pitching. You bring in Carlos Correa to play short? Very, very interesting. Because the Tigers got Javier Baez. And the Cubs have a shortstop on the roster in Nico Horner. And I was, honestly, I was really looking forward to a Nico Horner, Nick Madrigal middle infield, which Cubs fans, including myself, are still thanking the White Sox for Nick Madrigal, by the way. I'm glad they like Craig Kimbrell so much. But I was kind of looking forward to that. You know, I remember I grew up and it was Ryan Terrio at short, Mike Fontenot at second, and they didn't hit for power. They were very light hitting, but they were still fun to watch because they were contact hitters and didn't strike out a lot, and they could make plays in the field. I really thought we were going to see, like, not really a sequel, but the reboot of Terry Fontenot in Horner Madrigal. But you bring in Carlos Correa, this is really, really something. And the market for him is kind of being thrown off because Corey Seager signed that massive deal right before the lockout. And Cody Decker threw some fuel on this fire on BetQL, which is over at Odyssey, which owns 670 the score. That's the betting side. And Cody Decker, he hosts, oh, what's what's the name of his show? Off the Bat, whatever it is. He hosts a show on 670 the score during baseball season. And he went on that at NGM and said, I really think Carlos Correa is going to end up in Chicago. So even during a lockout, we're getting Cubs insight here. And this is from a team that the last two off-seasons, when there wasn't a lockout and they could negotiate with free agents, sat on their hands. So I, I don't know what to think anymore. I really don't. You know, they've got, a, they've got a new GM. They've got Carter Hawkins under Jed Hoyer, who's president of baseball operations. This is just, I don't know. And Jonah Blatt, who's the resident Tigers fan, too. You're welcome for Javier Baez. Uh, He says, feels like a super weird choice after selling the entire core at the deadline. Well, yes and no. You know, I can see why... I, I can see why the Cubs want to do this. I didn't necessarily agree with selling the core at the time. Personally, I think some of them should have been gone a couple years earlier. But you got rid of all of them at the same time, and it looked like you're going into a rebuild. Now you're turning the roster over. And it's a, it's also an interesting spot for Jed Hoyer. 
because he helped build that World Series team. He helped get a lot of these guys where they are. And then he goes in. He is in charge. He can make the decisions. Maybe there's things he wanted to do different. If Theo Epstein was still in charge, yeah, I think this was really weird. I wouldn't know where this was coming from. Theo's gone. It's Jed's show. So any ideas that Jed had, it's his call now. So is it kind of a weird choice after selling the core? Yes. But do I understand it because of the situation the front office was in? New president of baseball operations who was working without a general manager, by the way. The Cubs did not have a general manager last year. It was just Jed Hoyer. So now you've got a general manager in there as a sounding board and having input on baseball operations decisions. Decisions. No, I... I I see where they're coming from. And I don't I don't hate the direction they're going. We all knew the Cubs needed a power pitcher. They went out and got Marcus Stroman. I personally don't think they need a shortstop right now, but if you can go get Carlos Correa and if he's interested, guess what? You're going to get Carlos Correa. And I know I've had my thoughts on the the garbage cans and the the, the sign stealing, I understand that. That's still kind of, it's in the back of my head here. But I'm looking at it from a baseball standpoint. Strictly on the field, nothing off the field, just the numbers, how they play the game. If Carlos Correa is interested, from a baseball standpoint, yeah, you've got to go after him. This is going to be fun. I just did not expect from a team that did not give us free agent news when there wasn't a lockout to have free agent news like this leak out during a lockout. I mean, free agents, I'm not exaggerating when I say there cannot be any contact. They're, they are locked out. I personally don't think there will be baseball for a long while. And now we're getting free agency news in the middle of this. Okay. Very briefly, because we have 10 minutes left, and I promised you a Bears prediction in the last 10 minutes. We had a couple cancellations in the college football world today. Two bowl games today. The military bowl between Boston College and East Carolina and the Fenway Bowl, which was the first ever Fenway Bowl between Virginia and SMU, have both been canceled due to COVID-19. And that means that Virginia, the Bronco-Mendenhall era, is over. At SMU, the Sunny Dykes era is officially over. So that's what's going on around college football. I'm sure this isn't the last of this because the Hawaii Bowl got canceled on Christmas Eve, which meant there were no sports at all on Christmas Eve. And I'm sure my mom was happy about that because we went to my grandma's. So I wasn't preoccupied watching sports. Instead, I was watching It's a Wonderful Life, which is one of my favorite movies ever. But there were no sports on Christmas Eve. And yesterday we had NBA and NFL to make up for it. That was a good day. Good day of sports yesterday. 
but the Hawaii Bowl has been, was canceled. There are probably going to be a couple more. The big ones to watch are the college football playoff games, the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl. Because the committee ruled that teams can win those games on forfeits. So, this isn't the last we've heard about bowl game cancellations. Um, I want to say that games can be postponed if they want. I know Rutgers jumped in for Texas A&M to the Gator Bowl. Illinois was the second choice, by the way, for that. Brett Bielema was pulling to get his guys into the game. Rutgers was the choice. So COVID-19 is impacting college football and college basketball as well. Okay, Bears game. Today, 325 on CBS. I'm sorry, I think it's on Fox today. I think I had that wrong. Yes, it's on Fox today at 325. I'm sorry. It's Fox at 325. It's a Gus Johnson game. That's the only reason it's even remotely watchable is because Gus Johnson's calling it. And you've heard me talk about it on the show. He's one of my favorite play-by-play announcers right now. You know, he does a lot of Big Ten football games. Obviously, I covered the Big Ten for a lot of the year. Watched a lot of his games. The energy he brings... That's the only reason this game is watchable. And I still might not watch it. You know, Nick Foles is the starting quarterback. Here we go again with Nick Foles as starting quarterback. And again, as we talk about this, we will find out closer to game time if Justin Fields is going to be active as the backup. Remember, he's dealing with that ankle injury. If he's not, Ryan Willis will be the backup. He came up from the practice squad, which is why you're probably wondering who is Ryan Willis, because he was on the practice squad, and nobody's ever heard of him. I don't think the Bears have a chance today. 21-10 Seahawks, and I think 10 points is too generous for the Bears, but I think I think Cairo Santos has a field goal in him, and I'm sure they'll get a garbage-time touchdown like they did against Minnesota. How the Seahawks are only favored by 6.5, I have no idea. But I'm taking Seattle 21 to 10. The defense is beat up still. Akeem Hicks is out. Khalil Mack is out for the year. Yes, they're getting their secondary back. But it's Russell Wilson. I know the Seahawks are bad this year. They're better than the Bears. 21-10 Seahawks is my prediction. That game coming up at 325 on Fox, Gus Johnson, and I want to say to keep Tlaib on the call today. It is weird having a Bears game at 325. I, I like noon games better because it just gets them out of the way. Be ready for tomorrow, though. Because you heard what Ian Rappaport said. With this new rule in place, with Matt Nagy's future, this is going to be an interesting 24 to 48 hours for the Bears. And George McCaskey and Ted Phillips have a lot of decisions to make. Because after today, there are only two weeks left. There's, oh, there's two weeks left. Two weeks left of watching this team. You know, they're 4-10. They're and ten. It's going to, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. I got four minutes here. And I did my prediction a little earlier. So, I, I want to 
I know I want to talk about this. Thursday night, I'm out to dinner with my parents and my family. We went Christmas shopping. Yes, we did our Christmas shopping on December 23rd. And I got everybody's gifts done in time for Christmas. Thank you very much. Anyway, we're at dinner and I got some news I didn't want to hear. I've had Jeff Dickerson on this show before. JD has been a big part of my career. You know, I met him my sophomore year at Loyola through, I had a professor. Well, he didn't call himself a professor, but I had an instructor who was an editor for NFL Nation. And he connected me and JD. And we kept in touch. I saw I saw Jeff all the time. You know, he he and Jordan Burnfield are the two main Loyola play-by-play announcers for basketball games. And I saw those guys many, many times over my last three years at Loyola because that was real. I jumped onto the beat head first sophomore year, sophomore, junior, senior year. I saw those guys and talked to them all the time. And JD and I built up a really good relationship. And I'm going to be straight up and down. I don't know all the circumstances here. But from the sounds of it, JD needs our thoughts and prayers. And he's been on my mind ever since I found out Thursday night. You know, I haven't been able to get out of my head because he is such a good person. You know, I... Go go back. I, uh, the interview is on the podcast. Go find it. Go listen to the interview we did. And I'm not doing this to plug my show. I'm doing this so you can hear how good of a person he is. The conversation we had, we were talking bears. It was just two of us having a conversation. He was gracious with his time. It was the heat of the season. It was in the middle of COVID. I encourage you to go listen to that to just see how good of a person he is. You, all you, these people you hear and see in sports media, on TV, on the radio, online, you know their work. And JD is a really, really good writer and a good journalist. He's an even better person. So when I heard this news, it, it rattled me. And I just wanted to use this space, this space that he has sat in as well, to just wish him well. Give him thoughts and prayers and encourage all of you to just say an extra say an extra prayer. Keep Jeff Dickerson in your thoughts as he goes through what he's going through right now. And he's a tough guy. You know, he, he's been through a lot the last couple of years. And I just wanted to give him that acknowledgement and just, J.D., we're thinking of you. We're praying for you. Especially this Christmas season into the new year. So that's where I want to leave you in 2021. I will see you next week. First show of 2022. Cannot believe we're already coming up on the new year. We'll have some more fun next week. We'll have some Bears talk next week. We'll have some Bulls talk. We're going to have a full slate, have a full show. It's going to be jam-packed. I hope to see you then. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, wear your mask, 
get the vaccines when you can. Happy New Year. Hope you, again, had a very Merry Christmas. And, and one more time, thoughts and prayers to Jeff Dickerson as he goes through what he's going through. Have an awesome week, everybody. Happy New Year.